I'm Stuart Chittenden, and this is Lives, a conversation featuring fresh voices and diverse perspectives on culture, community, business, and more. My guest today is Itzel Lopez, VP of Advancement and Community Relations at the AIM Institute. Our conversation is being recorded today by Zoom. Itzel Lopez is the VP of Advancement and Community Relations at the AIM Institute, an Omaha-based nonprofit focused on local tech talent education and career development. Itzel is an active member of the Hispanic and broader community and has played a key role in the growth of the annual Sanco de Mayo Omaha festivities. She is a recent graduate of the Nonprofit Leadership Institute and Leadership Omaha and is currently participating in the inaugural class of Opportunity Corps 2022 a professional development and entrepreneurship mentorship program for women in STEAM through the Unitech Institute and Bio Nebraska. She is passionate about connecting individuals and bridging communities by educating and advocating for the most vulnerable members of our community. Born and raised in Mexico, Itzel and her family moved to Omaha when she was 12 years old. Itzel, welcome to the show. Thank you. Muchas gracias. So it seems best to start at the beginning. So I'm curious, what are some of your very earliest childhood memories? What I remember is being feeling free, uh, comfortable with just going places without the fear of being lost. And uh, so as you mentioned, you know, I was born and raised in Mexico and um, where I'm from, uh, it's it's a, a state nearby uh, Mexico City happens to be one of the largest cities in the world. And um, the, our state's name is Hidalgo. And growing up, I just remember being, you know, as a young kid, five years old, going to kindergarten, walking by myself without any fear of, of not knowing where I was going to go. And I remember walking blocks by myself. And then later in year when my younger sisters were born, uh, so I, I'm the oldest of three, take, you know, grabbing my younger sister Nayeli by the hand. And then as we were growing up, letting her hand go and running faster than she did so that I could get, I could lose her <laughs> intentionally. But, you know, obviously it was all, all play, but uh, I still tease her because, I always, I always wanted her to be brave. And I, I knew that if I let her walk by herself, that if she ever did get lost, that she knew that she was going to be able to find her place. And as I said, I teach her even now that, you know, that same memory of me running in front of her was to open that door of bravery, right? Um. You know, being the oldest, I always had all this pressure of just doing what's right and what people wanted me to be and what people expected of me was always higher than everything else. And so, um, yeah, that was my early childhood, just always being a leader uh, from a very young age, you know, 
growing up, I also have this strong memory of entrepreneurship. So it's all full circle now with this program. Both sides of my parents are entrepreneurs by spirit. And so that entrepreneur spirit followed me into Omaha, Nebraska, you know, growing up in Mexico, again, seeing all of that business activity take place in the marketplace or, you know, whatever it was, you know, we had storefronts, restaurants, you name it, all on both sides of my family. You know, it, to me, it was a natural thing, you know, that, that you know, selling and, and customer service was very instilled in me at a very young age. An interview you did with Leo Adam Beeger, you referenced that where you were raised, it was sunshine all year long. And I think you referenced your grandparents having a large ranch with watermelons and papaya and, and all sorts of edible fruits and, and vegetables, this kind of thing. And you, and you did mention buying and selling and, and this you know, art of entrepreneurship. So what was that experience? What was that like? It really set me up to be the person I am today, you know, that humble little kid that didn't know that was doing that, right? But at the same time, gave me so much experience. Um, and, you know, my grandparents are, you know, huge influencers of my life. On both sides, as I said, um, you know, we had, on my dad's side, we had a ranch. And like you said, you know, he, he our, our grandparents cultivated all kinds of fruits, as you said. And then my pa- my parents will bring them down to the local marketplace, a very large open supermercado. And we will be awakened maybe 3, 4 a.m. on Saturdays. And we will go in and we will have our little aprons and gave us some cash. And it was just like, pasale, pasale, you know, come on this side and get your watermelon. And um, at a very young age, I learned how to add, subtract, and wait um, fruits and vegetables. And um, and I always look forward to our lunch. You know, we, you know, lunch and, and, and other type of trinkets that we will get from uh, attending and, and providing that service, you know, as a, as a, and I never said that as a, uh, even though it seemed like, you know, again, a very early stage of my life, five, six years old, very, you know, instilled in me. I never said this as, you know, what people will say, child labor or anything, because really it was a family moment. Everyone in the family was part of it. And we all had a role and, you know, lunchtime and even packing up and driving back to the house was always so fun, you know, just writing, um, singing and just being in family which is lost, you know, many times, even now, as I raise a, a one, a one only daughter, I still don't have those moments with her, you know, because we're so busy and technology has taken over conversation.
let's fill in the gap a little bit. It was around that time, the age of 12, that you then moved with your family to North America here. So what's the story behind that transition? Another milestone growing up, you know, uh, remembering not being able to grab any of our belongings and just being one of those uh, moments of my life where I still remember being asleep and being told, hey, you know, we're leaving and uh, no questions asked or we're, we're either asked or, or, or shared, you know, any clarification regarding where we were going. I just, I just know that we were fleeing, escaping, reuniting, you know, people may interpret it in different ways. I was a kid. All I knew is that I had to leave everything behind and, and come over. And so by the next time we, you know, we travel by car and, and the next thing I know is I'm not even in Mexico. So uh, you may imagine, you know, the hours that we drove, it was all overnight. Uh, next thing you know, we were crossing the border and reunited with my dad. That's the, after years of not seeing him, we, we encounter him reunite and you know we arrived to McAllen and from there you know I thought that was life because you know we see our dad and we're like oh my god where are we at and we really don't know I just know that we are in United States and he's like but we're not gonna stay here we have to keep driving I'm like well we've been driving and it's like it doesn't matter we still have many many hours to go so he drives us into Omaha and I still remember this very clearly you know, we're getting off the freeway on 75, getting off on L Street. And, and he's saying, well, we're home. And I'm saying, there is no way we're home that like, it really stinks here. Like, <laughs> and it's, um, and I don't share this with, you know, I guess some people might find it rude, but the reality is that that's where the meatpacking plants are in our community. And if you haven't driven there and if you have ever not experienced that smell, you will encounter the smell and you do it now and you will still encounter 25 years later. Um, So that was a smell I never had. You know, I never encountered such smell in my life, even growing up in the marketplace. So, (laughs) um, So I was really thrown off, you know. And so he says, this is home. And so we just drive a few minutes down and and our first home arriving was a basement you know my childhood turned out that i was literally born in the house that i was then raised in for the next 18 years and so i i don't know how you psychologically um as a preteen come to terms with what sounds like a pretty shocking and surprise sort of departure yeah it is to this date I'm still trying to think, you know, what did my friends think when I left? Like, what did my teacher think? Like, I, you know, I still even think about all of those things uh, because I never got to say bye. And, you, you know, everyone needs closure. And I, I didn't have that. And, you know, I can't speak for everybody else, but from my experience, you know, that was hard as a preteen to join a different country, to join a different school, to learn a different language, to feel like you don't belong. Uh, That fear of walking all of a sudden was instilled because I couldn't get anywhere walking. 
And that frustrated me a lot um, because I was walking everywhere from five years old. Everything I wanted, you know, I would just get a few pesos and I would be down the street picking up something. And I couldn't do that. And all of a sudden, that free child was not free. Do you know now as an adult looking back what the need was for the sudden departure and why it was necessary? Yes, I was able to then, uh, you know, later when I think I wanted to rebel a little, you know, as I was starting to date and, you know, I ended up enrolling at, I went to Norris Middle School is where my parents enrolled me in middle school. And then, and then I transitioned to South High School, which was just up the street from where we lived growing up here in Omaha. And, um, you know, I just wanted to find out, like, you know, my life wasn't, I want to say it wasn't bad, but it wasn't perfect either. And I don't think life needs to be perfect, but there are a lot of unanswered questions. And at that point, you know, I did struggle with the understanding of why I needed to do this or why our whole family needed to do that. And I did learn that, you know, just where we were from, it wasn't a safe space, uh, that there were a lot of like drug cartels taking over our city. Um, I later learned the stories of women being taken as potential, you know, wives, even though they didn't want to. And obviously, you know, my mom was raising us by herself. My sisters are all females, of course, sisters, I just said that. But you know what I mean? Like we were all young women. My mom was young. You know, I mean, we were like a, a good target family to go after. And so you know, when it all comes, you know, my parents did wanted to provide us a safer future, um, provide us an education, but most importantly, safety is is what they said. And uh, if we were left, you know, now, you know, as an adult, you know, I think about that choice and you're, I, you know, I have seen, I have heard stories of people that are in my town that have not had a good you know, a good experience, whether they didn't finish school or, you know, I mean, there, there has been a story it's more scary, of course, but I I'd rather not share. But so I do imagine my life being completely different, you know, if, if it wasn't because of this risk of smuggling us in into a country that that it has provided us great opportunities now.
so I, I am curious about the pull you felt to, I don't know, fit in into Omaha, your new home, while at the same time trying to hold on and flourish within a, a cultural heritage that, you know, that you celebrate. Yeah. And I think that's where my passion for, you know, community advocacy and just instilling my culture and even in our entrepreneurial spirit, replicating our food and showcasing what, you know, real authentic Mexican food tastes like. Um, that's where it all comes from, you know, is uh, finding and sharing my identity with others uh, because that's how I grew up, you know, with all this folklore, all this color, like you said, you know, in a very sunny state, you know, where there was hardly any water coming down and it was perfect. And no matter what day of the year it was, you know, there was always something going on a family gathering, a birthday celebration, a day at the park or a day at the marketplace. And so I, you know, it was for me that rebellion, even though it sounds extreme, it was identifying where I belong. I remember very clearly too in my English as a second language during South High School that I launched the the English as a second language after school program because that was just a way for me to get you know, other Latino uh, kids like me, you know, to find their space. And then I was uh, very involved in like the dual language program as it launched and the Spanish club and really having Spanish conversations while we were at South. And then I was the one that enrolled our group into the Cinco de Mayo parade when we were juniors and seniors. And, uh, you know, always organized that. And I always felt like doing that reminded me of where I was and trying to replicate a little bit of Mexico in, in my little community, you know, whether it was my neighborhood or, and, or my school, as I, as you can hear me. Um, but yeah, so upon graduation though, that's to where, that's a great transition because I was trying to Americanize myself at the same time, keeping my, you know, finding where I belong and how I could like move forward with my life here. I learned I was undocumented too, you know, so that rebellion also came from me trying to Americanize myself and then learning that I couldn't go to college. So I was just like, I don't understand why I don't have a social security. <laughs> you know, it just never, it didn't click in my head why I couldn't apply for FAFSA, why there were some college applications I couldn't fill in why I wasn't eligible for some scholarships. And so that whole thing just really frustrated me, right? So here I am creating a mini community in my neighborhood and my school and, and, and you know, doing all these after-school programs and leading my groups, my, my peeps, you know, my friends. And then I come across as like this great A-plus student that should be going to school, um, is unable to do so freely again. You know what I mean? So I, you know, I am blessed though that I met my uh, my now husband, high school sweetheart, you know, and we married because I was really frustrated and I was like, you know, if there isn't anything I can do, I'm just I'm just gonna go back to what I guess I I was meant to do, which was get married, have kids, 
and let your husband provide, and which was not what I was going for. But that's what destiny was putting in front of because I received a lot of no's, you know, when, and, and that really, again, that rebellion was just like, well, then if nothing else, I guess I'll start a family because what else, right? I love that you talk about you were getting a lot of no's. You shared the story about age of five and showing no fear. And as the eldest child, you wanted to open the door to bravery to your younger siblings. And then you shared the stories about the efforts you put in to cultivate endeavors, the connected communities around a cultural heritage while you're in um, middle school and high school. And so you talk about getting all these no's. How did you push past those no's into whatever the yes is that you wanted to create for the next part of your life? That's so great because it has been, you know, just like destiny. I think there are people in this world that are watching, right? And for me, you know, I have many of those uh, community leaders uh, who are also Latino descendant that saw, you know, some of my struggles and lend me a hand. And, uh, you know, from the outreach coordinator from Bellevue University who reached out in the summer after she found out I was pregnant and married and like doing something she thought was great. However, you know, <laughs> you need to go back to school. And Miss Lopez, I don't care if you're pregnant. I don't care if you don't have a status. Like, let's figure this out. Bring your mom. I'm going to meet you in my office at this time and let's make it happen. And next thing you know, I'm enrolling college and I'm pregnant now. And, um, you know, I get a full ride scholarship to Bellevue University and, you know, I fulfill that, you know, educational journey. And then along the way, you know, if it wasn't because I got married earlier and I didn't have a kid, you know, I had a, a daughter then, I don't think I would have had kids. So again, this destiny is just coming full circle because then I got really busy. <laughs> and then by the time I wanted to have more kids, maybe, maybe in the back of my head, I was just like, it's too, I'm too busy. I'm too busy. I can't really do it. And then now my daughter's 18, but, um, you know, and I talk about that because it's just like, I don't think my, my Again, those no's, you know, would have, if they weren't there, it wouldn't, I wouldn't have had that pause. If I didn't have that pause, I don't think I would have got married. So again, there's all of this, you know, how do you push forward toward this? You know, there's people in your life that you just come across that you just don't know what might happen. And the college journey was a mentor, uh, meeting Marcos, you know, while I was graduating college to get in front of volunteerism and community advocacy through the managing and the execution of the largest now uh, festivities in our community, the the Cinco de Mayo, right? Being the most diverse, uh, I mean, we bring over 250,000 people over a three-day span 
Yeah, let's let's talk about that. So you went to Bellevue University, and um, I, I think you majored in business. Mm-hmm. And yes, the Cinco de Mayo festivities. Um, I, I know you you played an integral part in moving that from you know what it was say a decade ago to to where it is now. So would you share a little bit more about you know, what is Cinco de Mayo and its important place in for you in in a cultural heritage, a cultural tradition. And yeah, what, what has that journey for that event been? You, you started sharing some of those, uh, you know, some of those successes. So yeah, what, what, what is it and what has happened? I, I was always just looking for that culture identity, right? And, and I just remember being in college and thinking like, there's gotta be more to me just going to school. Like I have to find an, a passion project. And so, yeah, I met Marcos and, at the time, he had taken the reins of managing the Cinco de Mayo festivities. We There was an organization called the South Omaha Business Association who funded, you know, the um, just putting together, you know, a few tents and bringing people together on, a, you know, a, a day and a half, et cetera. And uh, I interned with him. I just, you know, reached out and said, hey, I don't know if I can be of help, but I like to help organize. And he's like, Sure. Can you handle? I think my my journey started like handling the music uh, <laughs> schedule, you know, on on a the main stage, and I'm like, sure, I'll figure out mariachi bands and 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 other type of folklore, and and so I did that, and I watched the whole thing happen, and then it was like, okay, so Marcos, now that I experienced this, like I have these ideas, like growing up, you know, we had this thing. And so I will share, you know, some of the things, you know, Marcos was born and raised in, in the United States, but, you know, his heritage, you know, his family is one of the longest Mexican families um, living in, in Omaha. And, you know, he also had that, you know, looking for that identity. So we shared that where we wanted to showcase our culture to others. And so, you know, whether it was to expand one block and create a, a family area, where we strategically found vendors to cater to kids, uh, where specifically we said they couldn't charge more than $5 because we wanted every kid to have access to it, all the way to securing sponsors to provide services completely free of charge during the whole weekend, Uh, whether we use the forum of the main stage to communicate and provide advocacy to things that matter, you know, whether it was legislature or candidate forums or just to inform the community about, you know, DACA or any other thing that was taking place that will affect them uh, as persons, as family, as society. Uh, You know, we wanted Cinco de Mayo to be a community forum, you know, for all sorts of awareness, you know, from the taste of food to the, the quality of products to a showcase of a small business owner, you know, it it was really an awareness moment and it continues to be, you know, an awareness to even our own locals, you know, they have no idea that uh, the Latino community is growing and the Latino community becomes a majority in the next 10 years. And, uh, you know, we're, we're really proud of what our Latino entrepreneurs are doing. You know, people are still surprised that over 1,500 uh, small businesses are owned by Latino descendant uh, community members. We're like the largest and the fastest growing small business sector in the entire state. And so that just gives me like, wow, you know, again, 
Cinco de Mayo is the largest festival in this town, besides the College Board Series, which again is, is a local thing, but locally produced, most diverse, longest, biggest parade, you name it. We are bringing the real fiesta. And they'll just keep growing. Warning. Because, <laughs> <laughs> you know, we're taking over. I mean, it really is. It's, it's amazing. I Every year I look forward to just being there. I, I don't remember, but I think last year I took out $700 in just cash to spend, you know, in just food. And I will cater to people, you know, and bring community leaders and funders. And I will just say, okay, so you want a real taco? We're going to eat at this. You want to try a real mango? We're going to eat here. You want to buy an authentic purse? We're going to buy it from here. You see what I mean? It's just so great. It really is a fiesta. Maybe that's a good segue then into another area that your entrepreneurship has flourished. And again, it feels like this harkens back to your very earliest childhood, another endeavor that you were instrumental in uh, from an entrepreneurship point of view, and certainly food-driven, was the restaurant and catering business now, Maria Benita. Tell us a little bit more about um, that particular endeavor, the, uh, the, the restaurant and catering business. I remember being in my marketing class um, at Bellevue and just thinking about, oh my God, like I wanted to have lunch somewhere with my group and there wasn't a real place where I could go where I didn't feel like it felt like a bar or like not family oriented or uh, with delicious food. And, and everyone in my capstone project in this marketing class was Anglo. And they kept asking me, where do we go to eat while we work, where it's a little bit more quiet, but we can still enjoy. And I was like, yeah, there isn't anything like that. I didn't find it. And I, at least I didn't feel encouraged to recommend anyone to, to come. And, you know, in, in speaking with my parents, they're like, well, you know, we've been thinking we have this cash. You know, we all have this entrepreneurial background, especially when it comes to food why don't we do our own thing? And at first I was like, it was just an idea, not something we need to pursue. <laughs> but, you know, if that's something you guys are interested in doing, well, then I'll do all the marketing for it. And I'll use this class to help promote, create a business plan, a marketing plan, a strategy plan, and we'll go. And I mean, it was in months where we found a place, we launched our first uh, brick and mortar was on 19th and Missouri Avenue. 
the Mexican consul came and opened our doors, had a great speech about authentic Mexican food. You know, she had just arrived and uh, she was just, you know, really proud to find a place where authentic food was being served. Uh, and so, yeah, so that's what it started. And I held all my meetings there. And next thing you know, as I'm securing sponsorships and other things, I just brought people over to the restaurant. But, you know, it was all good until my dad had cancer. Because then I was like, okay, so I never learned how to cook steward. And I was not going to get myself in that position. So my parents were, you know, my dad operated behind the scenes, the vendors, all of this stuff where my mom provided the recipes and then, you know, hire staff to cook and deliver and, you know, all of that. But when my dad had cancer, it was like, well, you can have great food, but you still need to contact the vendors to get you the ingredients and all this. And my mom was not equipped to do all of that. And so that's when I made the decision that we needed to take our business, but move it in a different way, right? Like take this business, don't end it, invest in something else and reinvent. And so we approached approach the food truck business because we have family and friends who are, you know, residents of other states, including Texas and California. And that was a thing, you know, growing up as well, you know, we saw this. And it wasn't maybe the way that they are now, but I mean, they were a little bit more uh, simple, right? Now you find food trucks with all kinds of stuff. Yeah. So I basically would reinvent that. And I said, we're going to take the proceeds from this brick and mortar. We're going to purchase our first food truck. We're going to go on wheels. And so we transformed the business into catering on wheels and I replicated our mural who I also did. We, I was part of this mural class at Bellevue University. And I had, I said to my muralist teacher, Mike Giron at the time, I said, hey, um, so I have a wall in this restaurant. I'm opening. You guys want to do this project in the community? And they're like, sure. I mean, that's so cool. Like, if you let us, we'll paint something. So we had all these flowers, you know, from the gardens, you know, that reminded me of my grandma growing up, this, the ranch where we picked up the fruit, right? And so we had that mural outside our walls. Well, when I purchased the food truck, I replicated that same mural onto the food truck because I wanted people to have this like, okay, hold on, they're gone, but they're not really gone because now I see this food truck. Like, you know, I wanted to kind of like create this branding legacy. Yeah, so it was a mural on wheels. And later on, we purchased another one. My dad healed, he got better and we opened another brick and mortar. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> because we were like, you know, catering, food trucks, let's have another dining room. You know, we opened another dining room. Uh, long story short, we're back to just operating food trucks because my dad not only lost his battle to cancer, but was also deported in 2015. So that triggered a whole family dynamic. Again, the backbone of our operation not only, you know, was not present in Omaha, but it also took a real low ship in our family uh, union when he passed away. Uh, So, you know, I don't want to go into too much detail, but really, you know, it was time for us to reset and that was a lot. And so, yeah, that's where we're at right now. About to leave Already packing, can't 
I'm not really asking We'll get away To a place where we don't know About to see The world in action What we can be Life with no distractions We'll get away This is what we waited for the word reinvent as you were sharing that story and it feels as if you have throughout your life taken moments of reinvention and transformed yourself and the community around you in some really powerful positive ways your recent years have been marked by numerous community based projects and leadership and entrepreneurship programs uh, they included the nonprofit Leadership Institute program, Leadership Omaha, currently uh, Opportunity Corps 2022. What has stood out to you from those programs? What have you learned? And how are you different now because of um, your experience in those programs? You know, I've been very fortunate to be given the opportunity to be a person who has received you know, that lending hand, you know, from my early journey, arriving in a country that doesn't belong to me, right? I'm a guest in this country. I continue to be a guest until I'm naturalized. I've been welcome. And, uh, you know, my journey at AIM has nothing but been a, a really positive, life-changing experience. You know, I truly believe that uh, all of the investment that this organization has made to me personally, has had, you know, 200 degrees of like real tangible things that are taking place because of that. And uh, yeah, the Nonprofit Leadership Institute, Leadership Omaha and now Opportunity Corps remind me that to be a leader, um, you must remain to be yourself. And what hasn't changed in this whole journey is my authenticity. I continue to be the same person I was when I was born in Mexico. And that no one, you know, no leadership camp is going to be able to take away from. And but instead has reinforced how important it is to stay true to who you are. If nothing else, authenticity has given me the courage, the bravery, the compassion for others the empathy, you know, that I needed to stay humble in such hardship moments of my life and to not let my values be diminished, right? And so, yeah, I mean, it's been a great journey, but all three camps have had a similar, you know, moment during those opportunities where I have been reminded that being an authentic leader is the most important thing. That sounds incredibly wise 
yeah, you know, I mean, we're living uh, in a com- in a society where everybody watches what you're doing, and you want to belong, right? And you want to uh, be liked, and as a leader by position, you want to be followed. You want your directions to be followed. Yet, you know, uh, you know, it, it's just it's challenging. I don't blame people that cannot be authentic. Um, you know, I can't but say continue to be who you are and you shall flourish. That will be my advice. But um, but again, it does take courage because I've been called out, you know, for being myself in a world, especially in this organization where I'm at, where it is white male dominated. Um, you know, my knowledge is always put to the challenge and whether I am uh, qualified enough to do what I do. And, uh, and, and sometimes those uh, words are not said, but I sense it, right? I come constantly, I was talking to my mentor earlier this weekend where I still remember the glass ceiling activity in one of my classes in high school. And thinking about there's this glass ceiling. And then once you're a leader, there's this glass mountain. So every step I'm making, people is watching to see if I'm going to trip. And, you know, my my closest friends remind me, we got you, babe. Don't worry. You're doing great. But it is a challenge. And as a Latina, as a female of color, you know, the, the additional challenges of the, you know, pronunciation, uh, looks, right? And, and also your poise, uh, how you speak, how you articulate, how you command, all of that, you know, it's, it's, it's daunting. So I don't blame others for not wanting to be themselves. Love is love. Love is love. Adi- no. Is it frustrating for you to be doing so much hard work to make the community that you and I both live in so much more um, productive and positive and happy and culturally rich to still have to use an expression like you're a guest here uh, until uh, you know, you're naturalized and also to be such a leader in the community and to have done such hard work? committed to this place and to find that you're still caught into question as a leader because of who you are. I just wonder how frustrating that is, or if you're able to not accept it, but to just recognize it. I think every day I'm just reminded that I don't own my destiny. And I use that word a lot because one, you know, 
I, again, in this country, I'm still a guest until I'm naturalized and I'm reminded of my immigration status as often as, as people can remind me. Uh, I tune it out because I am going to not let that stop me from speaking my truth anymore. But uh, when I think about just in general, this city has a lot to work on. Um, so what can I do to help move this change forward? That's why I volunteer in all these places because I have the, um, I almost owe it to my daughter and now my grandchild uh, to do this. I, I, I have to do this for my next generation. If I don't speak up, we will continue to be oppressed in a society that all we're doing, like you just mentioned, I have provided workforce development opportunities through my own business. I have hired people. I have invested in properties. I am a volunteer at heart. I could go on and on about all the good things that not just me, my husband and my family and my you know future generations will continue to contribute to this city uh, to not be acknowledged, right? And so I just choose not to get that in front of me anymore. I used to be very frustrated. I was specifically frustrated when I learned my dad was going to be deported when I have proven my case that my dad was a business owner. We were employing Americans and, you know, we were good members of society and the judge still chose not to hear my uh, remarks. And so I think at that point of my life, that's what I call the turning point of itself. Stop being nice uh, a nice meaning quiet and saying, Oh, you know what? Next. <laughs> I'm not going to let that happen any further. People will learn. I was undocumented and people will learn that even though I was undocumented, I already achieved all this and I can continue to do this. So you either embrace me and my family or we're leaving. And honestly, at this point in my life, I don't care if I leave. You humble me and you are also an inspiring figure. I'm wondering what gives you hope? How do you keep your own flame and, uh, you know, passion burning and yeah what sort of makes you optimistic for whatever the future might be every single thing that i volunteer for it has helped me with my personal development journey which helps me be a more educated persona that then can influence others right so I'm a, I'm a lifelong learner and I will always continue to be, but I will not do it to learn and keep it within. I have learned that everything I know I need to share. So that's where my personal journey aligned with my work uh, because I truly believe that if more people had access to outstanding free technical education, the cycle of poverty will end in vulnerable communities. So my personal duty is for more people of color, more females, more underrepresented communities, get access to outstanding technical training so that they too can end the cycle of poverty. Because this is a seven generational approach. Once people hit this tech world and you're making the six figures, you will not want your kids to live in the cycle of poverty. I'm telling you, <laughs> I, I know I have lived this experience myself and I cannot hide this 
from other people. I need other people to join this force. So that motivates me that I can actually influence others to try something new, to get into tech. This is the, this is why, you know, and, and not just tech, but again, in all of my volunteering opportunities, when I know of opportunities, I share, I tell, I inform, I let my networks know. I walk across the neighborhood and I inform. I love that image you close with of walking across to people to share this with them because it takes me back to the beginning when you were sharing your five-year-old self, walking to school, but walking with others, in this case, your siblings, and then opening the door to bravery. And, and it feels like you're still doing that for us all. Yes. And I shall continue to do as long as I can keep walking. <laughs> <laughs> My guest today has been Itzel Lopez, VP of Advancement and Community Relations at the AIM Institute. I can't tell you how much fun this has been. Itzel, thank you so much for being on the show. No, it's been more fun for me to share what I have had in my heart for so long and to tell others, you know, if I can do it. And I was just a young little girl from Mexico who was once undocumented then everyone else who is documented can do it. That's the end of this week's show. You can listen again to this show and others by subscribing to the podcast at livesradioshow.com and find us on social media at livesradioshow. The music playing you in and playing you out each week was created specially for the show by Andrew Bailey. I'm your host, Stuart Chittenden, and this is Live's radio show and podcast. Join me next week for fresh voices and diverse perspectives on culture, community, and more. 